Not quite sure how I'm supposed to follow that. <laughs> but what a fantastic testimony to God's faithfulness. And I know that many of you have journeyed with Andy and Beck as they've gone along this. Um, and we are all excited to meet little baby sister in June. But even as we can celebrate God's faithfulness and rejoice with this family in their answer to prayer, we're also just so aware that for some of you, that's a really difficult thing to hear. That Mother's Day is not something that is easy. Perhaps this is your first Mother's Day without your mum. Or perhaps this is another Mother's Day where you are not yet a mum. And now I'm getting all emotional for you. But we just want to honour you as well. Because Mother's Day is about all mums. It's about biological mums, step-mums, adoptive mums, grandmums, spiritual mums. Mums of babies and children who are with Jesus. Mums who are with Jesus. And those who are not yet mums. As Julia already said, I'm Joe, married to Dave. We've got three kids, Ethan who was on base, Lucas over here and Brianna's out at Life Kids. And I wish I could tell you that being mum to those three has made me somewhat of an expert, but that's sadly not the case. So we're talking about the fight. You might be thinking that this is one of the strangest themes we've had for Mother's Day, like ever. You're kind of right. It's not normally terminology that we would use when celebrating motherhood. It conjures up imagery of war, of battles, arguments, conflict, disagreement, contention, things that don't typify a day in the life of a mother, at least not every day. And yet as mothers, we are often called to step into the middle of the kids' disagreements or wrestling and restore order. Sometimes we are part of the conflict, especially as our kids are growing into their own personalities and forming opinions of the world that we live in that don't necessarily line up with our viewpoints. We don't tend to view ourselves as soldiers or warriors, maybe more peacekeepers. However, as we've been journeying as a church through Pierre and now Stand, there's this added weight to the phrase, the fight. The reality is in that every area of our lives, we need to be aware that there is a battle going on. Whether we like it or not, we're in a fight for our marriages, our finances, our jobs, our families, our time, our relationships. For some, there is a battle over your fertility. For some, there's a battle over your health. Whatever battle you find yourself in right now, as I share, I just pray that the Holy Spirit would just really speak to you. Today, it's a little bit different, but what I want to really focus in on is a common ground that we all have a part to play in, not just as mums or parents, but as a church full of people who have a great capacity to love others. I want to talk about the fight for the next generation. As a mum, my greatest desire is not that my kids would grow up and have this amazing career, it's that they would grow up and love Jesus with everything that they have, and that they would be able to have a strong faith that would, could withstand anything that the world would throw against them. Now, this can feel like an enormous burden, and something we don't always feel prepared or equipped to handle. But my hope is that today you'll leave feeling that you are prepared for this fight, that you have a role in it, and that God is in control. You might be sitting here thinking, but I'm not a mum, or a parent, or an aunt, or an uncle, or even an adult. What does this have to do with me? Hopefully, as I share, you'll capture a little bit of heart of God's heart for his family, but also see how the principles I'm going to share can be used in any fight that we face. Now, obviously, 
as someone who has responsibility for kids' ministry, this whole area of the next generation is something that I'm really passionate about, as you would hope, right? But in talking to other parents, to young people, I've just become so aware of the important part that we all have to play in raising a generation who knows how to stand when the world is yelling at them to sit down and be quiet. Throughout history, we see repeated evidence of a secular world trying to silence the message of Jesus. Over the centuries, however, not only has the enemy been hard at work to silence our voice, but he's also been raising up voices to counter God's word and his plan. And the reach of those voices is far wider than ever before. For those of you that have adult children, I'm sure that you would agree that when your kids were small, the greatest influences on them other than family were the friends that they chose to surround themselves with, the books they read, and maybe a little bit of TV or movies. Now we also have YouTube, social media, Instagram, influencers, who all have access to our homes 24-7. In 2015, a study by Common Sense Media stated that the average daily screen use for zero to eight-year-olds was 50 minutes. That's not bad. For eight to 12-year-olds, that increases to six hours. And for teenagers, that's nine hours. And in the last six years, we've seen a lot more of devices in schools, so that number is not likely to have decreased. In comparison, there is data that shows for your average church family, kids are in church 1.7 times a month. It's about two to three hours a month. Now, please understand, I don't share these statistics to shame anybody or guilt you to being in church more, but it's really just to highlight that the battlefield is not an even one. The enemy seemingly has a huge advantage. Now, if your kids are anything like mine, lots of those screen hours will be spent on things like Minecraft tutorials or watching other gamers complete levels and tasks in games. There's a lot of watching other people do normal things or watching people fail to do normal things and funny cat videos. But the thing is, they also have access to a whole lot more and content that aligns with God's word is in the minority. John 1 tells us that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. This is the world that we live in. Our biblical worldview makes us stand out, but the world just simply doesn't get it. They don't understand it. They can't comprehend where we are coming from. They are being told so many different viewpoints on what is right and what is wrong, or even that there is no such thing as right or wrong as long as they have their own truth, that is it any wonder they're confused? The very idea that we follow Jesus, who declared that he is the way, the truth, and the life, is just so at odds with popular opinion. Somehow, the battle cry the next generation needs to hear has to be louder than that of the world. But what does louder really mean? Do we shout more? Do we argue with opposing views more? Do we post more content Do we get into online debates so that we can have the final say? Do we teach the next generation to argue someone into heaven? It's hardly a proven strategy. But if we look at how the world uses its voice, the winner in any debate seems to be the one who can cut someone down, who can shame them in front of thousands of followers and do whatever it takes to make them silent. 
when the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery to Jesus for judgment, and he responded by writing in the sand, I doubt his response was something that you would consider a burn. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is responding to his opponents who were slandering and attempting to discredit him. And it says in verse 2, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of the world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. So what should our battle tactics be? How do we fight not only for the next generation, but any fight that seems at odds with what the world expects? I'd love for you to turn with me to Nehemiah 4. Now, as soon as I realised that I was going to be sharing from Nehemiah, I also realised this was not going to be a typical Mother's Day message. I don't think I've ever heard anyone share from Nehemiah on Mother's Day before. But to give you a little bit of a background, Nehemiah had felt a call to rebuild, rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And it wasn't the first time that anybody had attempted this. In fact, in Ezra 4, we actually see a previous attempt um, that was actually prevented by uh, Ezra's political opponents who were complaining um, and, and were the voice of dissent. And they went to the king, who then commanded Ezra and his people that they had to stop rebuilding the wall. Nehemiah, however, was in a position of favour. He was a cupbearer to the king, the same king who had stopped the rebuild previously. And in the first three chapters of Nehemiah, we read how Nehemiah grieved and fasted for the city of Jerusalem and the people who were exiled and left in this vulnerable position there. He approaches the king, who agrees to let him go rebuild the wall. He goes into Jerusalem and examines the state of the wall under the cover of darkness, as he's not yet quite ready to reveal his hand. And then once he knows exactly what he's dealing with, he approaches the noblemen, the priests, and the officials to start the process. It's important to understand that the reason Ezra's efforts were stopped by the king was that the voice of the opposition managed to convince the king that Jerusalem was rebellious and wicked, and if rebuilt, they wouldn't pay taxes. They stated that they would be a threat to the king's power and his wealth. Their voice was loud enough that the king paid attention to what they said, whether it was true or not, and Ezra had no chance. If we read from verse 1 of chapter 4 of Nehemiah, we see how he also Faced opposition, and I do apologize, it's quite a long passage. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. And Nehemiah responds, Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborers is giving out. 
and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we'll be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who live near came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows and armour. The officers posted themselves behind all of the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out. And we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. We're nearly there. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man, man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes, each had his weapon, even when he went for water. So there are three things that I want to pull out that Nehemiah does that are principles that we can apply to any spiritual battle. And I believe they are key to the now generation being able to take a stand in an increasingly hostile world. The first one is we need to pray and take action. Nehemiah and the people are rebuilding the wall holding on to this promise from God and being obedient and building what he's called them to. And the voice of the world just starts niggling away at them. What do they think they're doing? What a rubbish job. It will fall down for sure. How can they possibly restore something so damaged? What relevance does the church have today? Christians need to stop believing the Bible is the infallible word of God. You've already lost the war against gender, race, sex, discrimination. You need to embrace Darwinism and give up the idea of the creation and the fall. Those last few statements were actually from a Huffington Post opinion piece in 2015. But I'm sure you've heard similar statements. As we make a stand to hold on to God's word, we will continue to face increasing opposition. Anytime you hold on to a promise from God, the first thing the devil does is question it. Is that really what God said? Do you really think that will happen? Why do you keep trusting God? Surely he would have answered that prayer by now. Do you you really think God's going to do what the medical profession has said is impossible? Nehemiah responds in verse 4, not by arguing back, but with a cry to God. Hear us, O our God, turn their insults back on their own heads. Now this was an impassioned prayer, desperate for God to intervene. It wasn't just a, please God, help us. And then in verse 9, it again states that they prayed, and then they posted guards. We need to pray. We need to pray for our kids, for our teenagers. We need to pray for our life kids leaders, our life youth leaders. We can even give you a list. If you like to pray specifics, we will gladly give you a list of people to pray for. But as well as praying for them, encourage them. Nehemiah and the people didn't just pray, but they also posted a guard. 
Take an interest in who these kids are. When you see them on a Sunday, ask them how they're going. If you know they've got hobbies, ask them, what, what, what's that like? Hey, did you go riding your horse today? How was that game of soccer? Hey, what, what, how's school going? If you know, sorry, research shows that the presence of caring adults other than family is a key factor in children building resilience and sticking with their faith. Now, you might be someone who really doesn't like kids. You know what? That's okay. But would you pray for them? Will you lift up the next generation with a desperation that God would intervene? Whatever fight you are in, pray. When the enemy tries to derail your faith, don't try and argue with him. Take it to Jesus. As Beck has said in her testimony, God is so able and willing to hear our frustrations, our worry, our anger. And then, if there is action that you can take, do it. Maybe in the fight that you're in, that action is as simple as actually putting steps in place to guard your heart. Maybe it's stepping away from social media if it's causing you pain or worry. Turning off the news. It is not a sign of weakness to remove yourself from a situation that you can't handle. And it's not a weakness to ask for help. Which leads me to my next point. Close the gaps and remember his promises. In verse 13 it says, Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest point of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons and daughters, your wives and your homes. Nehemiah placed men conspicuously in the places that the enemy was most likely to attack, where the wall was weaker and the families were in danger. Then he encouraged and reminded them that God is in control. We don't need to fight alone. Make sure you are connected. Connected in a life group. Parents, I know that when your kids are little, that that's really difficult. But having a group of people who can pray with you and stand conspicuously in the vulnerable spaces with you also shows your kids that they aren't alone and will make the enemy's job much harder. Students and young people don't do life alone. If you are terrified at the idea of meeting new people or joining a life group on your own, find an extrovert. They'll connect you in and they'll probably fill the awkward silences. Look out for the, I know we should have a t-shirt. I'm an extrovert. Find the extrovert. Look out for the vulnerable. Is there a situation that you know you could step into and be that conspicuous warrior? Share testimonies of God's faithfulness. Remember what he has done for you and remind others. Tell your kids of the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord. In my experience, kids love hearing stories of the miracles that you have witnessed. The same goes for those who are new to faith or even those of us that have been around a while. It helps us to connect the stories in the Bible with the reality of God in our own lives. And number three, be ready. Keep your weapons to hand. Even after the immediate danger had passed, everyone still had a role to play. They either continued building or they carried materials in one hand and weapons in the other. They all remained ready to respond if the trumpet would sound should an attack occur. When the immediate crisis has passed or the fight appears over or your prayer has been answered, it is really easy to get complacent. 
to stop praying or reading the word, to miss church or life group, to let down your guard, but be ready. Use this time to sharpen your weapons and to teach your kids how to sharpen theirs. Give your kids the tools so that they can carry their weapons with them as they work. Teach them how to read the word. Dinner time conversations. Talk about what God is doing, what he is saying to you. The now generation want to experience God, to know his voice, and to see the Holy Spirit doing things in people's lives. Allow your kids or other people's kids to interrupt your life with questions about the Bible. Some of the best conversations that we have had have been long after the kids should have been in bed, eh, Ethan? In fact, sometimes they've been late enough that actually my brain switched off and I've just left it to Dave. <laughs> but share stories that build their faith. You know, one of the reasons I love Beck and Andy's update to their story is that the way the kids have been part of it. Josiah and Sammy know that God is real because they have been part of the miracle. They prayed and believed and saw the answer to their prayers in way more specific detail than perhaps you or I could have believed for. When you receive an answer to prayer, write it down. Write down the details, refer back to those times, keep a record so that next time you find yourself in a fight, you can remind yourself of God's faithfulness. Just as the band comes back, Remember that we know the end of the story. We may not know exactly how a situation is going to turn out, but we do know a saviour who took it all to the cross for us. When you are still in that space where you're waiting for the answer or haven't seen the fulfilment of a promise, we can have peace in him. When it seems like all is lost or the answer doesn't look like you thought it would, cry out to him. Tell him your heartbreak, your frustrations, your worries. When the battle seems too great, bigger than what we can handle, look to Jesus. If we look at what we and the generations to come have are likely to face, it is so easy to be discouraged. If we focus on the fight, we can lose sight of the one who fights for us. We don't fight or wage war because it's just something we want to do. We just want to carry the bread and cheese, right? But we do it because he has already won the victory. Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16, 18, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. The victory is not dependent on our skills, on our ability to reveal Christ. We don't have to strive, but fight from a place of security, knowing that we know him and that he is in control. John 16, 33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The band's just going to sing a song over us, and I just really invite you to just allow God to speak to you in this moment. And there's a couple of things specifically I want to I draw out. There's, for some of you, worry is the thing that just takes up your time. You worry about this. You've got this burden for the next generation, for your kids, for the situation that you're in. But I believe God wants to turn your worry and make you a warrior. And the other word that I got was disqualified. And I believe that there are some people in this room and for some reason you feel like you're disqualified from the fight. But God is not a God of disqualification. He is a God of restoration. So I just if that's you, I just really encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit to, to just really speak to you and encourage you as the team play. And perhaps you might like to Get with the um, the prayer team at the end and just get prayer for those things. Thanks, team. <laughs>